Emily Balistreri is an American translator based in Japan. Emily translates literary fiction, Japanese manga novels, and provides subtitles for animation films. His published translations include Tomohiko Morimi's The Tatami Galaxy, Eo Ome's People Who Talk to Stuffed Animals Are Nice, Aiko Kodono's Kiki's Delivery Service, and Shakuski's Soul Lanterns, among many others. He did the English subtitles for Takahide Hori's award-winning film Junkhead and occasionally works on video games such as Kokosola's The Witch's Isle. He spoke about living in Japan, translations and the business side of translation and about the book The People Who Talk to Stuffed Animals Are Nice. To buy the book, you can use the link provided in the show notes. Please share your feedback on this episode either on the Spotify app or through the link provided in the show notes. You can follow Harshaniyam podcast on Spotify, Apple or search any of your favorite podcasting apps. Uh, welcome to our podcast, Namili. Uh, Thanks for uh, coming out to our podcast. Thanks for having me. French, Russian, Spanish, German, Japanese. These are the ones uh, I gathered. I'm definitely not fluent in all of those. I've just studied them at different times in my life. And I've studied some Chinese. I'm currently learning um, American Sign Language, which has been really interesting. The first time I heard French was when some study abroad, some kids came back, back from studying abroad. And I think I was in like third grade. They taught us how to count to 10, stuff like that. And I thought, wow, like you can learn another language. That's so cool. Um, it was a long time before I got to actually study after that. But um, I was pretty fascinated right away. So any early influences through family or just through friends? Not so much family, I guess. I mean... My dad was always a big reader. I really liked to read a lot, and I learned how to read pretty quickly. Japanese, I came to through friends who introduced me to anime. And the first time I saw Slayers with subtitles, I just thought Japanese sounded so cool. So started studying online. Which is the first book that you read and really enjoyed in English? I feel like I was trying to remember this the other day for some reason, too. And... I really don't know what the first stuff was. I read a lot of Boxcar Children in elementary school. I remember reading um, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, stuff like that, like kids' books I read. I'm sure there were picture books that I was really into, but I don't remember exactly which ones. Yeah, you used to draw too or only the reading? You Can you draw? Because uh, I thought you were interested in cartoons and other stuff, I thought. Uh... Oh, yeah, I definitely am. And when I was in high school, I like tried a little bit, but I wasn't as dedicated to drawing as it was to learning languages. That's for sure. Why did you choose to translate instead of writing? Well, yeah, when I was when I was an elementary schooler, I used to go around thinking, OK, by age 18, I'm going to be a published author. And like, and I used to write pages and pages of super derivative 
uh, fiction. I really like Daniel Pinkwater a lot. He writes like kind of fantasy sci-fi adventures where kids go off and do crazy things. And those stories always really appealed to me. So I would write like whole notebooks just full of stuff. <laughs> but there was never really any plot. It was just kind of either super derivative or that was the thing I could come up with characters or settings, but I didn't have anything for them to do. <laughs> so translating is great because everything's already there. Like the story is decided for you. You just get to choose the words, which is, the, it turns out is the part I really like. And then also just the idea of supporting an author that you enjoy is really cool. Like being a cheerleader is fun for me. So, Why Japanese translation? Yeah, because I started out as a Russian major and I thought I was going to do Russian. <laughs> While I was studying, I kind of realized that I was reading Japanese comics, I was watching Japanese cartoons, I was reading Japanese novels, I was watching Japanese movies. Like I was really into like um, Takeshi Kitano's films and Hirokazu Koreeda and Haruki Murakami and all these things. And I was just like, wait, everything I'm doing, Japanese video games, like I was a Nintendo kid. So I was just like, wait, this, maybe I should just do Japanese. It seems like there's a lot of fun stuff to work on coming from Japan. And not to say that there isn't interesting stuff to do in Russia, but like people would joke and be like, you're going to work for the CIA, huh? And I was like, no, like, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, just I think the pop culture and entertainment swayed me. So when did you shift to Tokyo? Yeah, and I live in Osaka now, actually, but I moved to Tokyo in 2012. And so I did a decade in Tokyo, and then um, it's been just over a year now in Osaka. But yeah, I was... I had an extended business trip in Tokyo and then I went back to the States and I just felt like I had always wanted to continue on to translation at some point. Like my end goal was not to be in the tech industry or whatever. And I, when I got back to headquarters, I was just kind of like, I don't really feel like I fit in here anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I decided to quit and go um, polish my Japanese. So I studied at Waseda for a year just doing intensive Japanese and because um, I just felt like studying on my own I'd kind of hit this like wall so I wanted to break through the wall and that it worked perfectly like the classes at Waseda did everything I needed them to do so I was really happy with my experience there I mean I really I really like the public transportation a lot and because I don't drive I don't even have a driver's license in any country um, I learned how to drive when I was 16, like everybody does in the States, most everybody. But um, I just was like, no, I'm just going to go live in a city where there's public transportation. I don't want to deal with this. So, yeah, in Tokyo, the public transportation is just perfect. Like, you can go anywhere. It's great. Um, and I also really like having national health insurance. That's a boring answer. But, like, having, like... No frills, just like easy access to insurance is really handy. But I mean, the main deciding factor was just to be immersed in Japanese and have access to Japanese books. There's so many bookstores and it's so nice to just walk in and find, you know, anything you want. Of course, I feel the opposite when I come back to the States. I'm in the States right now and 
I come here and it's like, oh wow, there's like English books on all the shelves, amazing. But um, yeah, I definitely like just having easy access to the language. And... Now, how did you get into translations for cartoon films? I think uh, you translated uh, for uh, subtitles for cartoons. I do have some subtitle experience. Um, how did I get into that? I think there was a project I really wanted to do, and I just happened to meet the guy who was in charge of hiring the translator at a party. It was so random. And I was like, wait, you do that? Because I want to do that. So just like, give it to me. And he did, which was so surprising. Like just me asking him and telling him how passionate I was about it got him, to, like, he didn't even, there was no, like, I don't think I even did a test or anything. I think he was just like, you want to translate? And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so that was a really random way to get started that I don't think happens to almost anybody. <laughs> but um, so I did a few seasons of subtitles and then I decided I wanted to take a break because I just prefer doing prose. The reason I asked you that question in terms of translation, Japanese and uh, English, they sound totally different, right? They, they sound. Yeah. But uh, when you are doing subtitles, uh, the uh, compared to translating a book, right? You have one mm -hmm. more constraint where uh, where you have to lip sync has to be there. The way they move their lips. Do you have that in your mind when you translated the subtitles? I'm kind of, I think some people really worry about it, but I would rather capture the meaning in natural English in the subtitles. So the main constraints for me are the space on the screen and then the time that it's displayed. Um, I know some people are really concerned with, like, there are lots of English loan words in Japanese. So if you hear a word, then you might expect to see it in the subtitles. But sometimes the loan words from English and Japanese don't mean exactly the same thing. So it might not be the most natural English. Or, yeah, there's just sometimes where some people would prioritize the hearing experience and try to make sure there's not dissonance. But... Unless an editor was like, hey, no, do this. I wasn't as concerned with that. For better or worse. That was just my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it never occurred to me. I was only thinking about uh, lip sync. But uh, like you rightly pointed out, uh, these languages, uh, you know, the way you express, especially the skip, the way the time, you know, duration is one very important thing. It has to get finished within that particular duration when they speak in the cartoon and also the screen space which is uh, longer in terms of you know when you translate english is longer or um, in terms of screen space which takes up more definitely english because you know japanese has kanji where there's a whole word contained in a single character sometimes i think it's like two or two and a half times longer maybe you translated many japanese uh, Manga novels too. Uh, so manga, manga is just Japanese comics, but comics in Japan come in every genre imaginable. Just like from things for little kids to like crazy murder mysteries and 
romances and just every possible. There was even a manga a few years ago about an interpreter. <laughs> yeah, I didn't read all of it, but I read a couple of chapters. It was pretty interesting. And the ones I've done range from like fan, like alternate world fantasies to LGBT issues, centric stories, and stuff like that. Um, and fan translations, I mean, so probably everyone can know what that is, but if you don't know what that is, it's basically people like Japanese comics so much that they translate them and, you know, do the lettering and everything and then post them online so people can read them, which these days is really frowned upon because what you're doing is stealing the artist's work and sharing it for free. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't say to like go look for them or something because I, you know, you can't. Um, and what I would say to people who want to translate and think like, oh, I'm just practicing. It's like, well, you can practice without posting it, right? You can translate as much as you want and you can do the lettering if you want. And you can share it with like a circle of friends who won't leak it, right? And get feedback. You can do all those things, but you just, it's not appropriate to share it online for everyone because then it's stealing. Um, like I have an entire novel on my hard drive that I did before I went pro that I'm just like, I did it for fun basically. And hopefully I'll be able to publish it someday. But for now it's just sitting there because I can't do anything with it. But these are quite popular, right? Fan translations are quite. Yeah, they are. And then you get the thing where, like I was working on Overlord, um, Overlord was my first big light novel slash manga series. And yeah, um, fans also translate novels too. So when I started doing the official translations of the Overlord novels, there were already nine volumes out in fan translation. Like, <laughs> that's, that's like hundreds, probably thousands of pages, right? To catch up to where they were. So all the fans have opinions. They, they think they know, like, what it says they think they know what all the terminology should be so you're kind of like up against like <laughs> these people and i don't read the fan translations obviously because i have to do my own translation so so they come and they say hey you this word is just not right and there were so many people who were trying to argue with me and i'm just like no <laughs> leave me alone but they're really passionate about their series Unfortunately, they're so passionate that some of those fans like would even get on the author's case about things like, you know, write faster or whatever. I'm just like, I don't even call you fans at that point. I don't know. I shouldn't complain too much about them. Though. It's just... I mean, if there's if there's a legitimate mistake, then I own it for sure. Some and they have found legitimate errors and like, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, we're all human. But um, but when they're just on about some difference, that was like a subtle thing that because, you know, if, if two different people translate, you're going to have a different translation. Now, you're a professional translator. Tell us about the business side of translation. So, yeah, paperwork is kind of my Achilles heel. So, you know, doing the contracts, doing the invoices. I'm just like, I, I just want to translate. Can I just translate and get paid? <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, there's all so much paperwork and then, you know, filing your taxes. And I'm just like, in terms of getting work, um, that has been going 
pretty well, I'd say. And I think one thing I've definitely learned is that networking is super real and it really works. Um, because I'll sometimes get jobs because someone thinks of my name and puts it down as a candidate for a project. And then people recognize my name on that list and they say, Oh, I know this person. Um, and that helps. Or recently, some of my translator friends, you know, if they're busy or they're not interested in a certain project that comes their way, they'll suggest me. And then I'm like, Oh, great. This is like fell in my lap. Thank you. Um, so yeah, having a network, meeting fellow translators and meeting as many editors and people as you can. I kind of also have an advantage because I work, I do a lot of work for Kodansha in Japan in the children's books department. And I've been able to go to the Bologna Children's Book Festival. Um, I think I just went for my, I want to say third time. And yeah, every time I go there, you know, I'm meeting people and, getting to, you know, do rights meetings and stuff. So that also helps kind of make people know who I am. In Japan, uh, these Japanese to English translators, are they getting the proper recognition for their work, in your opinion? I think it's kind of the same. Any into English is going to be the same situation. In my experience, I've finally started getting some cover recognition, like the books that I'm doing for Harper Via have my name on the cover, which is awesome. Um, but definitely even in Japanese translation, you can see like lots of books still being published without translators on the cover. The interesting thing is that in Japan, so if you're talking about English to Japanese translation, they always have the translator on the cover. And if the translator isn't on the cover, they're gonna like a reader's gonna look at it and be like, well, where did this translation come from? It looks shady. Like, how can you trust it? How do you know it's right if you don't know who the translator is? So there's a lot of respect for translators, I think, in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand because Japanese to English, when it gets translated, uh, it is done by presses in UK or USA. So <laughs> often, yeah. <laughs> right now. Uh, when do you think you have finished translating a book? So the way, the way that I translate, I guess I'll just run through what my process actually is. So I tend to read as I translate these days. Um, because like I'll read ahead a little bit in the beginning to get a feel, but once I feel like, okay, I kind of know how this is going, then I switch to translating, reading as I translate. Um, because it saved time. And also I feel like coming to it fresh, someone said this once and I was like, oh, it's such a good point. Coming to it fresh as a reader while you're translating, you can kind of capture that experience well. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's any detriment to doing it that way. And you're always going to go back and edit anyways. So anything that you feel like, oh, maybe I should have done this differently, you can always fix it. Um, so... I just go through and do a whole thing and then I highlight parts where I might need some native Japanese advice. And then I have a friend who I pay an hourly wage um, because I really just want to have someone who's my go-to, who it's not awkward or like, please, can you help me? Like, I don't want to beg people and like to work for free. So 
it's not like I pay her a ton, but it's a little bit of a side gig, and I think hopefully it's good for her too. Like she keeps doing it, so I assume she enjoys it to some extent. And um, yeah, and we've become good friends through that too, so it's cool. Um, so yeah, so I talked to her, um, and then we iron those things out. And recently, I've been having. Um, Microsoft Word read my translation to me. They have like the computer voice. And obviously the pronunciation is kind of wonky sometimes, but having the computer read it back to you is great because you can read along with it. And, you know, if you're just reading it, sometimes your eyes will glaze over little things and you won't notice because your brain fills in the gaps. But if the computer's reading it, you hear something's off usually. So that's uh, been a good way to proofread some things and yeah, and that, you know, I adjust like word choices and things like that at that point. And, and then usually after, you know, going through it a couple times, I'm feeling pretty good. And then I get to my editor and see what they say. <laughs> Your translation of uh, the novel, The Tatami Galaxy, The Tatami Galaxy novel was uh, shortlisted for uh, Pen Translation Prize this year. Yeah, so um, Tomihiko Morimi, he was born in Nara, and he went to university in Kyoto, which is where he sets lots of his books, especially his earlier books, are often about university students in Kyoto and all the goofy things they get up to. Um, so that's one of those books, The Tatami Galaxy. It's about um, a guy who likes this girl and... <laughs> But he's kind of just like regretting the choices he's made. Um, and it's kind of a four part story that takes place in like parallel universes, depending on which club he chose to join in his freshman year. But he always meets the same friend of his who's kind of a questionable influence. <laughs> and there are certain threads that stay the same. And uh, so it's interesting to see how it plays out through the different universes and eventually, you know, I think it's more of a story about friendship than romance, even though there is a romance element. Um, it's more of a story about like, who are your friends? Like maybe, maybe this person annoys the heck out of you, but if they're always there for you, then I think they're still your friend, right? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good book. And the sequel is coming out next Hello. week. Congratulations. Thanks. And then Morimi, so Morimi also, he did these campus novels, but he also has this like spooky mode where he does like more kind of weird, uncanny, ghostly sort of stories. Um, and you can read stuff like that. Um, Fox Tales, which is translated by Winifred Bird is a good example of that. Um, not much of that stuff has been translated yet, but Fox Tales is out there and the translation is good. Now, when you read the translations done by others, as a reader, how do you evaluate the translation? Technically, no. You can say it in levels, right? Like the first level is, does it sound natural in English? Does it read well? And that's the level that I'm talking about right now. Like, obviously, I didn't read it side by side, right? <laughs> um, if I do read it side by side with Japanese, then I can tell you if it's a good translation or not, um, according to my philosophy or whatever but um yeah i think for general readers like 
And you would hope, right, that most published translations are by people who know what they're doing, so there aren't going to be too many actual errors or weird edits. Um, so in that case, I think most people are relatively safe judging by um, whether it reads smoothly or or if it doesn't read smoothly, is it supposed to not read smoothly? Like, if you can tell what they're doing. What are you currently working on as far as translations are concerned? Um, right this instant, I'm in the middle, well, I'm towards the end, but it just started coming out. It's a manga series called It Takes Two, Tomorrow Two by Suzuki. It's a, it's a romantic comedy, slice of life thing, very chill, um, cute, fun to work on. Um, it's about a couple that just started living together, so it's their life together, and um, um, just cute little stories. It's very chill. And um, other than that, I don't have a major novel project right now, but I am doing a lot of samples, which I do a lot of sample work. Um, and so a sample could be 30 pages or it could be the entire manuscript, um, sample. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I feel like there's been more paid work recently. Like, I feel like before, or maybe I just didn't have access to this market, if you want to call it that. Um, but in my sense, like a sample was something the translator did for a project that they were passionate about, that they would then go pitch around and try to arrange things. But recently I've been doing a lot of stuff for Japanese publishers who will say, we want to promote this book, so can you write a summary of it? And, you know, basically put together a pitch deck and we'll pay you to do that. So it's like, oh, awesome. And then they go promote it. And so then later you hear, oh, we sold it. It's like, oh, hooray. <laughs> I didn't have to do any of that sales work, but awesome. Now, like, maybe I'll get hired to do it. Maybe I won't, but yeah, it's very cool. So I'm doing, I'm working on a mystery novel right now. A pretty, not the whole thing, but a pretty chunky sample of a best-selling mystery novel. Now you are now full-time into translations or you have a day job too? Yeah, I am translating full-time. I mean, yeah, some of the work I do is less literary, but I don't even really do a ton of other kinds of translation. Like, usually it's it's either literally translating a picture book or a short story or a novel or a comic, or it's translating something related to that or putting together the author's profile or writing a reader's report for an agent or something like that. So yeah, I'm pretty full-time. You get to meet uh, other translators too, from Japanese to English, and uh, they get to meet. Do you have any um, regular meetings or any association kind of a thing? Uh, not really. Like, I'm in a couple different professional orgs that aren't necessarily all translators, but I have met translators through them, like SCBWI, the Society of Children's Books, Writers, Authors, and Illustrators, includes translators now as like a category that you can join under. I've been part of the Society of Writers, Editors, and Translators in Japan for a long time. Um, but in terms of other like literary translators who are out there, um, 
it's more just like friendship kind of stuff. I don't, I'm not like in a collective or anything like that, but there are some people who I talk to now and then and hang out with or when we're in the same country, you know. <laughs> so now we will come to the book, People Who Talk To. Stuffed animals are nice. It's a pretty long title to begin with, <laughs> right? So please introduce the book and uh, author, uh, how am I? Um, so it collects, it's um, the titular novella and then three short stories of his. And it's kind of the book that put him on the map in terms of portraying the difficulties of life in the 21st century with like gender issues and expectations. Um, he writes about like the cruelty of comedy sometimes, you know, comedy just punching down or making light of things. Um, he talks about like dealing with the fire hose of bad news on social media, stuff like that. Um, there's one story called Bad Televisuals that deals a lot with comedy and he's has since written a novel about comedians that sort of feels like an expansion of some of those ideas. And another book he wrote after that is about a guy who likes this girl and then finds out that she's Polly. So it's kind of about how they navigate that relationship. And he does a really good job seamlessly incorporating the pandemic too. Um, like he doesn't write about the pandemic, but it's there as a factor in some of his work, which in like a really natural way, which is really interesting to read. Um, he's evolved a lot over the years. Um, he used to write a lot of really bizarre flash fiction and shorter things. Um, and he still, he still writes some weird stuff sometimes. Um, but for instance, I, I published a really good example of that is a short story called Tumbleweed. You can find it in the Kenyan Review. Um, they did a translation special feature earlier in the year. How do you get to translate his novel? Did you approach him after reading it or how is it? Um, I think, what did I do? I, I did kind of know him because he's on Twitter and I went to see him speak a few times. I usually follow my authors around, like they do events and stuff. That's another really great thing about being in Japan. You can go to the author events and see them speak. And I feel like they do maybe more of these in Japan or more casually, like just, they'll just like show up at a bookstore and like have a discussion between two authors when a book comes out. It's like a book promotion thing. And it's always so fascinating to hear all the stuff they talk about. Um, and it's a great way to learn about new authors too. You go see the author you know, and then you hear about this other author that you might not know as well. So it kind of is a cool way to expand your reading. But um, yeah, so I think I was following him around. <laughs> and then I think... Yeah, I just ended up telling him that I really wanted to translate. And I feel like maybe by that time, by the time of this book, I was in contact with his publisher. So I was doing a sample for them so they could promote it because um, they knew that I really liked his stuff. I think that's how it worked. And then, yeah, I think they were the ones who were introducing it. And it happened to get picked up by Harper Via, where I already was translating Morning News. So it was a perfect, easy match that way. So did you collaborate with him during the translation? Yeah, actually. Um, so we were actually also together at the Kyoto Writers Residency. Not this 
they just had one in October this year, but the one before that, the first one, we were both there and it turned out to be really handy because yeah, so that was 2022 and we were doing some of, I think the copyright edits had just come back and I had to do a lot of the editor, like there were a lot of things that people wanted to have adjusted and I was like, no, we are not adjusting this. So it was really nice to have him there. So I could be like, could you please like explain what you're doing so we can get them off our back? <laughs> so I, I had him kind of like explain and, and we did, we did tweak a little bit just to make it sure everything came through like the way it was supposed to. Cause definitely there were people reading it in ways that I was like, I don't know if you're understanding <laughs> what's going on. So yeah, we tried to make sure that the characters are coming through as themselves. Um, and it was great to be able to consult with him and do that all in real time, in person. You know, you, d you don't always get that opportunity. So yeah, being at the residency together was super. So coming to the stories, uh, let's talk about a couple of them. One story you already mentioned about it, which I really like, bad, bad towel visuals. The other one, of course, is the novella. That's a very interesting premise too. Yeah. So Nanamori and Mugito are new college students and they join a club, a plushie club, but it's not a club about making plushies or collecting plushies. It turns out that everyone's talking to them. Um, and Basically, the idea for the people in the club is that it's a way to vent their troublesome emotions without bringing other people down. Because if you talk to a person, maybe they'll start feeling sad too, or get upset. Um, so they kind of process things through the animals. And the whole time when I'm reading it, I'm like, ah, oh, but I wish you could just talk to each other because that would be the best, you know? So it's kind of how Nanamori and Mugito end up being able to talk to each other too. And, um, yeah, but it's about, you know, being sensitive to social media, being sensitive when you're encountering like old fashioned gender roles or, you know, just immature teasing or discrimination and stuff like that. One of my favorite stories is, um, the other one, um, hello, thank you, everything's fine. Um, about the girl and her brother who refuses to leave his room. It's, it's kind of more similar to some of his more bizarre stuff. It's like less, uh, of a socially conscious thing and more of just kind of a weird story about this girl and her brother, um, and his imaginary friends. <laughs> Yeah. But I just like, I, I just like the visuals of like their house on this precipitous cliff. Um, and, and the girl's like, why do we live on this cliff? Like the house is like balanced precariously. So she's always worried. Like if all of my friends come over and we stand in the balcony, will the house fall? And like, couldn't we just make it fall? And then I was like, she has feelings. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, lots of like recognizable feelings. And I did, when I first saw him speak, I remember 
and this was years ago, I remember him saying that he wasn't sure if he would ever be able to write, you know, longer fiction because his way of writing was to take a character and kind of create a situation for them and then just kind of like throw them in there and maybe throw another thing in there and see what happened. So in that sense, maybe there's a line where like you can see it connecting to like, okay, this character and their connections and now how do we, what happens with those connections? I never really thought of that before, but I mean, I guess that's one way that the evolution could have happened. And I think he does um, kind of credit his editors too. And um, I think they were kind of encouraging him to write um, the sort of stuff he's writing now. And it worked out really well for him. And I think he's good at it. So, Are you going to translate any of his uh, upcoming books, sir? I hope so. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm hoping to do more Morini. I'm hoping to do more Omai. There are some other authors I'm really interested in doing too. There's a zillion books I want to translate. <laughs> Convincing someone to do it. <laughs> We wish that you come up with uh, more and more of uh, translations, interesting translations like this. So before we end, uh, can you read a paragraph from the book? Any of your choice story, you can pick it up, both in English and in Japanese, please. Yeah. I thought I'd read just this snippet. I don't know. It's not really a paragraph. It's just part of a conversation. But um, from, from Hello, Thank You, Everything's Fine, because I just really like the interactions in this story. Someone was standing next to me, but I couldn't see him. Um, what was your name again? I said as I recalled the names of my brother's friends. And remember, his friends are invisible, so that's why she can't see me. Kazuya, I said. Okay, so what should I call you? Kazuya is fine, I said. The back of my head was hyper-aware of my brother sitting on my bed watching me. What should I call you? Kazuya said. Whatever works, my family calls me Marumi. How about your friends? My friends? I had to think about it. I didn't have any friends. A brown bird landed on the outdoor AC unit. Kotori, they call me Kotori. Huh, Kotori, said Kazuya. I could feel my face getting red. I rushed to explain. Sorry, that's a lie. Nobody calls me anything. Um, I'll read the Japanese next. Where did I put it? Watashi no tonari ni tareka ga tatte ita ga watashi ni wa mienakatta. Etto, nante namai deshitakke? Watashi wa ii nagara. Ani no tomodachi no namai o moi dashita. Kazuya. 私は言った。OK。なんて呼べばいい普通にカズヤでいいよ。私は言った。私のベッドに座って兄はこっちを見ているということを後頭部でパキパキに感じていた。僕はなんて呼べばいい私、カズヤは言った。なんでもいいよ。家族からは丸見って呼ばれてる。友達からは友達からは私は考えなければならなかった。私には友達がいなかった。室外機の上に茶色い鳥が止まっていた。小鳥ちゃんって呼ばれている。へえ、小鳥ちゃん、風邪で言った。私の顔が赤くなるのが分かった。私は早口でまぐし立てた。ごめん、嘘。本当は何にも呼ばれてない。They sound very different, no? It's、yeah. very, very different. <笑> Japanese and English are absolutely totally different. 
it's like any other languages that i hear okay chinese to certain extent i think korean to certain extent i think there is some similarity um studying chinese is really interesting when you know japanese because the kanji characters are from china so um like obviously they're pronounced differently in chinese but you can understand the meaning pretty quickly i believe korean and japanese are very close right they're similar in a lot of ways grammatically i studied a tiny bit of korean for a little while and it was pretty interesting like some of the words it sounded similar or especially the way the um the formality registers work um i felt was really similar i mean i only studied super basics so maybe i had more advanced level it gets more thank you thank you emily thank you very much it's a, such a pleasure yeah no thank you so much for having me i always like talking about books 